the current outbreak of swine flu has once again raised fears of a global flu pandemic, and the response of governments and international bodies has come under close scrutiny. I spoke to Warwick University's Professor Nigel Dimmock about why we should be concerned about swine flu and what our options are for treating a flu pandemic. The pandemic flu, as the name implies, is, is a, a global, worldwide infection. And the problem with that is that influenza is uh, probably the most infectious of all infectious agents. And while it's generally not uh, lethal, uh, there are always a small number of uh, lethalities associated with it. So that with a small outbreak, very few people would die. But with a very large outbreak, you're talking the majority of the billions in the world, then this, the death rate would amount to a, a very large number. The mortality rate varies from high at about 2% to low, maybe 0.1%. But whichever way you do the calculation, and even bearing in mind the, the modern uh, improvements in medicine and, and prevention, uh, you're still looking at a, 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 a very, very large number of, of possible deaths from a pandemic, and that's why everyone is extremely concerned when a pandemic virus uh, appears on the horizon. And we get very worried about the, the notion of a pandemic virus, but we mustn't forget that flu is still a very, very dangerous infection uh, to people in, in normally. I think there are about 33,000 deaths in the UK each year from flu alone. Yes, that's right. Uh, the, the pandemic virus is, is really no more lethal than the regular seasonal flu. But as I say, the, the, the problem comes with the, with the huge number of cases that are infected when the virus go, goes global. So are there any characteristics of, of this current infection, swine flu, that are make it particularly prone to uh, a pandemic? Well, uh, let's backtrack a bit and look at the pandemics. In the last 100 years, that's really recorded uh, virological history, there have so far been only three pandemics, one in 1918, 1957 and 1968. So they occur very infrequently and they occur at no regular interval. Uh, the, the background to this is that the influenza viruses uh, have their normal biological centre in wild birds. And there are an awful lot of uh, influenza viruses there. They live peacefully with the wild birds in, in an association which uh, causes no harm to the birds. But every so often the viruses will move out into various mammalian species and eventually into man. But the fact that there have been only three outbreaks, three major outbreaks in the last hundred, nearly hundred years, means that it doesn't do this very efficiently, which is very good for us. So you have to appreciate from this that uh, that the virus does not adapt very readily to to the the human species. So what we suspect is that there are many, many abortive uh, sort of. Uh, uh, incursions of the virus into the human species, which we may not know nothing about. And so there'll be a whole range of uh, these incursions from the totally abortive to the full-blown pandemic. And what we don't know at the moment is where the uh, Mexican outbreak sits in, 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 this, in this spectrum. 
it's it's obviously done pretty well. It appears to be spreading from person to person, and that is one of the key problems that the virus uh, has to has to overcome. We don't understand exactly what it is in scientific terms, but it's obvious that if the virus isn't able to spread efficiently from person to person, then it's not going to be a successful virus. And uh, we we don't know how well the virus has done this. I use the analogy of maybe that uh, if virus spread is concerned, you could spread like the family saloon or you can spread like a Ferrari. And we don't know where uh, swine flu is, you know, whether whether it's the family saloon. It's it's clearly not the Ferrari yet. And we don't know if you like to extend the silly analogy of whether it's going to run out of petrol. Is this really a threat? We've seen SARS, we've seen bird flu, the, the, the discussion around that, and you know, they didn't materialise at that point as, as, as being um, a serious concern. I suppose there are naysayers now who will say that uh, yeah, we've seen a number of people infected, a number of people died, but nowhere near the sort of apocalyptic kind of figures that, pe- that, that, that are often bandied around. Do we run a risk of talking ourselves out of um, taking these things seriously? Well, I, th- I think we simply don't know, as we were saying earlier, where this particular outbreak uh, stands. And there, there are really three possibilities, as I see it. The outbreak could just fizzle out and disappear as an abortive outbreak. And we saw a swine flu uh, outbreak in the United States in, in the mid-1970s, which did just this. It wasn't quite as extensive as the Mexican one, but it uh, caused some people to be hospitalised. It killed one young man, uh, but then disappeared. So that's one possibility. The the second possibility is the opposite, where it will go pandemic, and uh, with all the consequences that we talked about earlier. The third possibility is that it'll smoulder on at the moment, uh, while the virus goes on mutating and adapting, and possibly then will achieve a final pandemic form, and we'll see the the pandemic erupt, uh, perhaps in the in the oncoming winter. Uh, uh, as flu is associated with winter for some reason, uh, that that the, the mutations that the virus has undergone, coupled with the winter season, might just precipitate. Uh, the pandemic uh, in, you know, in, in, in a few months' time. So on the basis that we're, we're facing a threat from this infection, um, what are the responses that we might bring to bear against it? There are really two, well, there are three, there are three uh, approaches that can be used. Uh, let's go to the vaccine to start with. Uh, as this is a brand new virus... Uh, none of the current uh, vaccines available are going to protect against us. So a new vaccine has to be made. Now, scientifically, that's, that's pretty easy. The science is, is, is routine. The problem is in the logistics, that the, the virus, uh, all human uh, virus, well, nearly all uh, uh, human influenza vaccine is grown in, 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 in chicken's eggs, and that supply will be limiting the second limiting thing is that there are only a few companies uh, which are in the business of making flu vaccine, and again, that will be limiting. And don't forget, we're talking about making a global supply, a supply of vaccine to cover something like 6 billion people. 
Uh, it's a huge amount. So it has to be made, it has to be bottled, and it has to be safe, of course. Uh, and then it has to be distributed all around the world to the smallest uh, hamlet in the farthest flung regions of the globe. And it has to be injected physically. So you're going to need a similar supply of, uh, of syringes and needles to go with your vaccine. So altogether, it's a huge logistical exercise which takes time. So if we were to get a pandemic... Uh, as a natural progression, immediate progression of the Mexican outbreak, there would not be a vaccine in place in time, as this would take at least six months. It's difficult to say, but I would say conservatively it would take six months to get the vaccine to the majority of people. So that's probably not going to be much help. The, uh, the second uh, uh, measure are the antivirals, and these are, are really quite new. This would be the first pandemic where the antivirals had been available, and so this is a really big plus. And there are two antivirals, one called Tamiflu and one called Relenza, uh, which have been in use for a few years now. Uh, and uh, we're told that the, the uh, Mexican swine flu is sensitive to Tamiflu, which is taken as a pill and is the, is the, is the, is the, is the antiviral which has been used the most. Uh, uh, and that's good. Uh, the reason why we're concerned about the sensitivity is because, the, because viruses, uh, like all microorganisms, uh, have a great ability to, to for, form resistance to whatever type of uh, antimicrobial you use, whether it's a viral or, or an antibiotic. And many of the current human viruses are already resistant to Tamiflu, so that's a problem. But as, as I say, the, the new outbreak virus is, is sensitive. So Tamiflu has been stockpiled, uh, is, it will be mobilized, and uh, the government is buying more stocks of, of, of Tamiflu. So in countries, uh, and here's the catch, countries which have Tamiflu uh, will be... Uh, will be considerably better off in the past and, of course, will be better off than other countries where they have not been able to stockpile, presumably for economical reasons. And, for instance, Mexico, I see, has enough Tamiflu for just 1% of the population. Uh, the countries like our, our own are in the highest range have uh, enough Tamiflu at the moment for around 50 percent of the population. The US, by the way, has only enough for 25 percent of the population. So, so there's a complete range and there are no figures for, that I've seen for India or China. And really what happens in China determines the, the uh, because of the huge numbers of population, really decides what goes on in the, in the rest of the world. Okay, so vaccines, established antivirals and uh, things in progress. And at Warwick, we've been working for quite some time now on a totally new approach to, uh, to combat flu. And we have come up with a very interesting uh, 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 measure, which we call protecting virus. And uh, what this, uh, where this came from is the discovery that viruses, funnily enough, make their own antivirus. So there's a, there's a wonderful symmetry here, which you see... Yeah, throughout biology, of a, a yin and yang, a left and right, uh, a symmetry which, which has a plus and a minus. So with these viruses, you have, if you like, the nasty virus, the infectious form, but at the same time, the virus is producing, and we don't know why, uh, an antivirus which uh, cancels out the infectious form. 
And what we've done at Warwick is to isolate the protecting virus. It's, an, it's a natural product, the virus does it itself. We've not manipulated anything, we've simply isolated it. And uh, we can produce it in the lab, and we have used it in a variety of experimental models. And it protects extraordinarily well against all types of influenza. So we have a natural product which uh, is distributed or is administered as a, as a nasal spray. Uh, and what happens is that it, it, it is a virus particle, but it has inside a, a very small uh, piece of genetic information, uh, which is derived from the original virus. But it, it's small, and uh, it'll sit in the cell and, and basically does nothing. It's not infectious. But it protects you from an incoming infection. If that infection does appear, then the infecting virus gets into the same cell as our, uh, our protecting virus, and it multiplies itself, of course, but it multiplies our protecting virus, and it multiplies it far faster than itself. So instead of turning out lots and lots of copies of infectious virus, which are very nasty, of course, and carry on the infection, it turns out our duff protecting virus. So, it, uh, so that the infection is, is aborted on the one hand, and on the other, having turned out more protecting virus, that, that protecting virus goes on to increase the uh, level of protection in the individual, and the infection simply aborts, and then the immune system comes along and mops everything up, and you wouldn't even know you've been infected. And unlike vaccination, you believe that this approach would work against many different forms of flu, as you indicated, one of the problems with current vaccination techniques is you have to come up with a new one each time. Yeah, we, we think uh, our, our product, our, our protecting virus, has, has two advantages. One is that because it works at the level of uh, virus replication, and replication in influ influenza viruses is common across all of them. So uh, we've shown it works against a number of totally unrelated influenza viruses, and we believe it will work against all influenza viruses. So we don't, we don't need to tailor it uh, specifically like a vaccine. We don't even know, need to know which influenza virus it is. It doesn't matter. Uh, and the, the second thing is the resistance problem that you see with uh, antivirals like Tamiflu. Uh, because our uh, protecting virus is based on the replication system, the replication system is the heart of the virus. The virus can't become resistant, otherwise it simply it is not going to exist anymore. So replicating itself, replicating our protecting virus, is the same thing to the virus. It doesn't know the difference, so resistance doesn't seem to be a possibility. So I think we score uh, very well over both of these. But, but I'm not saying we should, uh, that our protecting virus will re replace uh, the vaccines and other antivirals. I think I think all should work alongside, and uh, each has their own advantage. And uh, the more, the merrier, really. In terms of measures against viruses, we're still really in the dark ages. Uh, vaccines have been with us a long time. There are very few antivirals. The virus is a very difficult target to hit with an antiviral because it's really so small. Uh, uh, so, so I think I think that uh, we, we need to proceed on a very broad front. The problem that, that does exist, and the problem that we're finding with protecting virus, is, is that jump from, the, from a, a, you know, a brilliant academic finding into production. 
and uh, it is very difficult to uh, find the money which is needed to carry out, in our case, the clinical trials, which obviously need to be put in place to demonstrate that protecting virus uh, works as well in people as we found it works in the laboratory. Now, uh, the protecting virus belongs to a, a spin-out company from the University of Warwick. The, uh, the IP is protected by patents, so it's, it's, it's been done in a very business-like manner. And uh, we're actively seeking funds uh, uh, which which are which are which it's a considerable expense to be able to take protecting virus into human clinical trials and uh, if they're successful then then I'm sure everything is wonderful and it's it's just a shame that it that this transition between the the the, the uh, laboratory invention and uh, putting putting it into into practice so it's useful. Uh, to human beings economically or to crops or animals or whatever is, is, seems to be so very difficult. Because based on the risk, the potential benefits, I suppose, for it as a commercial uh, venture in developing responses to flu could be quite great. Yeah, we, we, we believe so. Uh, flu is not going to go away. You're not going to be able to, uh, to, to, be able to eradicate flu because, right, as we said right at the beginning, uh, flu, flu belongs to wild birds and, and it, it's just out there as a fixture. So, so the, the, these, these uh, forays of the, of the bird viruses into humans and their adaptation and so on are always going to be with us, so we'll always need some sort of countermeasures. The other thing I could add is that this protecting virus really has its own equivalent in, in every different sort of virus. So this is, this is in a way, a, a generic form of antiviral, I mean, a totally new approach. What I have to explain is that the, the protecting virus, our protecting virus is specific for flu. You would have to get a new form of protecting virus for whatever uh, uh, other virus infection you wanted. But if we were, to, if we were successful, then I'm sure my, my, my colleagues in virology would be very interested in adapting their protecting viruses as an antiviral measure for, for their favorite virus infection.